0: I don't know it's another week it's another me welcome you absolutely love it don't you and if you don't then it's just not for you I hope all of you out there in the world are having a fabulous start to your gay wrath month wherever you are in the world I hope it's going great I hope this start to it it's gone off with a bang maybe a couple of bangs maybe Maybe two or three. Maybe none. You know? I just hope that you're happy. It's important to remember that pride is that radical expression of queer identity. And it's very important to queer people. It's very important to allies. It's very important to a lot of people. And just very important in general. It's a time for us to be extra loud and extra proud for a lot of different reasons. It's for those individuals who can't be out but might want to be out. It's for our queer ancestors who threw shit at cops, who were beating them, jailing them, sexually assaulting them, just generally oppressing them. It's for making ourselves just, like, immensely visible because there is so much power in doing that, especially for a marginalized community. It's very important to remember that year-round, but especially during June, during Pride Month, because we pick this one month out of the year, To emphasize and celebrate that, and basically like put it everywhere because that's the time to do so. Especially now in this climate. In retrospect, and watching it back, last week's episode was a mess visually, audio-wise. It was fine. It was great. I think so. If you're a podcaster, pretend it didn't just say that. And last week went great. There, it went off without a hitch. There was nothing. Nothing went wrong. It was great. But it's a shame because my makeup look was so good, but the video quality was so poor. And I'm trying to figure that out and work that out. And I think I got it fixed this week. I mean, I tested it, so you would you would imagine that means I fixed it. But hey, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> All I know is that that look was good and I wish I got better pictures of it. But I'll just have to reshoot it and do a different, you know, pictures of it somehow. There was just a lot of frustration and anxiety going over he- on over here in Oraland. and getting overwhelmed just thinking about it. I was supposed to go out after I did that episode, but I just got too overwhelmed. So we didn't go out after I did the episode, and I knew that that wasn't going to happen. So I was just stressed and just not in a good mood, not in a great place. But, you know, the show must go on. And I still put out a quality episode. It's just that, like, visually, things were not going well. You know that. We all know that. Unless you don't watch and you only listen. Then you don't know that. Like I said, it was great. I'm sorry. I'm only human. And I'm a very anxious human at that. So there's not much I can do about that. I'm sorry. You love me, though. Like I said at the beginning, you fucking love it, don't ya? Sidebar. It's wild to me, like, when my friends point out how random and funny the beginning of this is. Because it's very like sounds very unscripted but it is scripted but I'm the one who writes the script so that's probably why it sounds like that but there's like there's a script for everything I'm reading a script right now I'm always reading a script (laughs) this is very inception I'm breaking through the fourth wall right now but it's just funny to me that it sounds so unscripted when even the words that are coming out of my mouth now are scripted That's why, well, I mean, you know, not scripted the way you would imagine. I wrote the script, okay? Calm down. But (laughs) that's why I put together the book, because it's all very much in my voice. And when I write these things, I write them the same way that I speak them to you on this podcast. So I think that the book is going to be really funny and a good success. And informative as well when it comes out. You know, whenever that is. We'll see. These things take time, honey. Clearly, my week was uneventful when... The topic of talking about my week is writing the script for the show that you're watching right now, so (laughs) that's where we're at, personally. Don't know about you, but I assume we're all in the same boat here. Let's just fucking paddle it, baby. Let's just paddle it. It's just that I've been playing a lot of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, I know, I know, and it's consumed a lot of my time, and... It's just that it's not that kind of a podcast, so I'm not going to, like, sit here and bore you with video game details. Although I will say, (laughs) the graphics, the storyline, the voice acting, all of it, top tier, (mwah) chef's kiss, it's fucking a fantastic game. Um, There's been a lot of new games that come out, so Charlie's, like, playing Diablo, I've been playing Zelda, Um, there's just, I've been in those wormholes, you know, video games, what can I say, I'm a nerd. In my sit on the couchiness, I won't call it laziness because I was productive, but in my sitting on the couch, I went back through my old cases and specifically stopped on the ones that had documentaries so I could watch those through, which are sometimes really bad. But this one happened to be pretty good, and it reminded me to look into this case again, and for once there was some updates, some new details that happened since I had last watched the documentary, and... They're not great updates, but they are updates, so they happened. This week, I'm going to be discussing the murder of Shanda Renee Scherer. Shanda Scherer was born June 6th, 1979 to a loving Southern family. Shanda came from a family where, like, every member of the family looked like they'd have some, like, basement full of jam preserves and all these yummy cookies and like family recipes and shit like that kind of a wholesome family definitely giving those midwestern wholesome vibes shanda grew up really really close with her mom and on the documentary from investigation discovery it was called the new girl on the most dangerous deadliest decade in the 1990s i don't know if you google all of those words i just said i'm sure you'll be able to find it but in the documentary her mom was quoted saying We just hung out. She was just my little buddy. Shanda had this, like, huge head of blonde hair. Very, very 90s. Very, very big. And her mom said that she would use, like, an entire can of Aquanet to get that shit done when she was doing her hair. Like, it was an intense hairstyle. And she started doing this when she was, like, 10 years old. So she was very into big hair. In her childhood years, Shanda attended a small Catholic school in Kentucky. She participated in all of the extracurriculars, she played sports, she did gymnastics, basketball, baseball, Um, she was a cheerleader, and she made really good grades while she was there. So early on they knew that Shanda had a good head on her shoulders, and she was shaping up to be a really, really smart girl. Shanda's parents separated pretty amiably when she was young, and Shanda was really close to her father, so they all made the decision for Shanda and her mother to move to Clark County, so that they could be closer to her dad they moved to new albany indiana which is on the border of kentucky and indiana in a little area they refer to as kentuckiana it's where those boys are from that um came up to us at the campground that were like probably on a lot of drugs i think i told that story on here if not i'm gonna leave that up to mystery not that there's much of mystery to that i pretty much just told you the whole story So at 12 years old, Shanda transferred from that small private Catholic school to Hazelwood Middle. It was 1991, and she was super frickin' nervous because the school was a whole lot bigger than the little Catholic school that she was coming from. She was right to be nervous, I guess, because on only her third day in, a friend of hers that she had made, well loosely saying friends, it had been three days. A girl she knew was breaking up with her boyfriend in a very middle school way (laughs) by giving him back this ring that he'd given her. And she was all nervous to do it and was chatting about it with her girlfriend. So Shanda's like, I'll do it. Just trying to, you know, fit in, be a good friend, trying to make those connections. So she goes over to the guy with the ring and she's like, hey, whatever her name is, doesn't want to be your girlfriend anymore. And the guy reacts badly. Surprise, surprise. And... He's all like, who are you? Why are you getting involved? Mind your own business, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, a little girl named Amanda Heverin comes storming out of nowhere and starts screaming at Shanda for getting involved. Same thing, mind your own business, blah, blah, blah. And she pushes Shanda to the ground and they get into like a little scuffle. And Shanda walks away with this like big old Cardi B knot on her forehead. The administrators break them up and both of them end up getting dissension. While they're in detention later that day, both girls become friends because middle school. I mean, it's just that simple, guys. Shanda's mom, Jackie, is not super fond of this idea because this girl just beat up her daughter, so (laughs) she's not stoked on them being BFFs, but she doesn't have a choice because her daughter's in middle school and kids do what they want, especially at that age. Amanda is also older, 15, while Shanda is younger, being 12 years old. Amanda's also a lesbian, and a big rebel, and she's in a relationship with this even older girl, Melinda Lovelace, who is 16 years old. So the whole thing gets... So the whole situation, Shanda's very enamored by it all, and she wants to be a part of the big kids, the cool kids, and she is down to rebel and misbehave, essentially. Amanda eventually starts getting sick of the relationship she's in with Melinda Lovelace, and... Doesn't like that Melinda's being very controlling because Amanda seems to be a pretty controlling person herself, so I think she was getting upset that she couldn't manipulate Melinda uh, because she was being manipulated by Melinda. Very toxic. Anyway, Amanda then takes a liking to Shanda and starts writing her little love letters and asking her if she likes girls too and if they could be together and if she has a crush on her because Amanda likes Shanda and... All of this very, like, 12-year-old back and forth. After a lot of that note-passing and, like, pretty one-sided flirting from Amanda, honestly, Shanda eventually was like, Sure, I'll give it a shot. I'll go to the dance with you. So the two girls go to the dance together. And that's drama. I mean, we remember being in middle school. Melinda's at the dance, too, because they all go to the same school, obviously. And Melinda sees Amanda and Shanda together at the dance, So Melinda storms over to Shanda and she's like, hey, do not talk to Amanda. You leave Amanda alone. That's my girl. Blah, blah, blah. We're in a toxic relationship together. You can't get in on this. And Shanda's not scared at all of Melinda and is going to do, again, what she wants to do. Shanda starts ignoring her schoolwork and her grades start to drop. And she just starts skipping classes and misbehaving a lot with Amanda being the culprit behind most of it. Meanwhile, Mom gets wind of this, and Jackie is having none of it. And she tells Shanda that she needs to stay away from Amanda, and they cannot be friends, because she sees that it's not going well for them, and Shanda is getting badly influenced by Amanda. Things escalate between Shanda and Amanda. Saying their names makes me giggle, especially when I say them right after one another. Things escalate between Shanda and Amanda. I swear they could have had a sitcom. I mean, those names. I'm sorry. Okay. And the girls end up dating. They get into a relationship with each other, and they're writing love letters back and forth. And they become physically intimate with each other, and are writing in their letters about it. And on one of those letters, Shanda forgets to put a stamp on it, so it gets sent back to the house. And... Jackie intercepts it and opens it and sees that she's having this secret relationship with the girl that she specifically told her daughter not to hang out with anymore. So she goes into full mama mode and is like, no, 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 no. We're getting your dad involved. And when the dad finds out, they decide together to send her to another Catholic school because she did well at the first one. She says in the documentary, Jackie says in the documentary, that she didn't care if Shanda was a lesbian, but like... I don't know, a Catholic school up in the air. I'm not making any claims. I'm just, you know, Shonda does start getting better grades and her behavior starts getting better and she starts to express interest in those extracurriculars again and even starts to try, uh, you know, put the wheels in motion for trying out for the cheerleading squad Shanda is making new friends and quickly becoming popular at her second new school because she is a very charismatic person and very pretty and has really big hair and everybody, obviously, would want to be friends with her. Let's be real. The only person who's not happy about these new changes is Amanda. She misses her girlfriend and wants to continue their relationship. Uh, It's forbidden love at this point. Amanda's also, like, 15 years old, so she's definitely... Um, rebelling against her parents and Shanda's parents at the same time so it's very much Romeo and Juliet melodrama situation between Amanda and Shanda which is why I think they should have a show on January 2nd 1992 Shanda's writing a letter to a new friend that she's met named Lisa which is like oh no Shanda's moving on the Shanda and Amanda show is over <laughs> and she writes to Lisa quote Lisa I wish Amanda would stop calling and following me. So Amanda was starting to become a problem for Shanda and the relationship was over in Shanda's mind. She didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Then January 10th, 1992, Shanda uh, and her mom agreed to let Shanda spend the weekend with her dad because that's what they do. And it's around 1130 p.m. when her dad tells her goodnight. And Shanda's sitting in the living room watching TV. The next morning when her stepmom goes to wake her up for school, Shanda's not in bed. So her stepmom freaks out and gets her dad, who equally freaks out. And they call her mom, who ultimately freaks out. Jackie runs over there, Shanda's mom, and immediately notices Shanda's purse on the counter. And again, in the ID documentary, she says, quote, If there's one thing I know about my child, she didn't go to the bathroom without that purse. So she knew that it was red alert based on that purse and that she needed to call the police and that something bad had happened to Shanda. She had that intuition moment. While they're waiting, Mom, Jackie, calls Amanda Heverin because she knows Amanda's a problem child and thinks that maybe they're together again. And Amanda doesn't know what's going on really and says that maybe she should call some name that... Jackie had never heard before and ask them. So Jackie is very suspicious of what's happening and knows that there's something amiss. That morning around 10 a.m., two brothers are walking around in the woods of Indiana hunting. Very Indiana woods activities. They come across what they think is a mannequin in the woods and they realize that it is a body. The body is easily visible because both of the arms are up sticking up in the air like reaching towards the sky with their fists clenched so it's very visible from the road and it's in the middle of a field. The body is badly burnt beyond recognition but the men can tell that it's a child and there's a Pepsi bottle next to it with gasoline still in it which is very disturbing so they call 911. It's clearly a murder. Police in Jefferson County check their missing persons records but don't find anything until later that night around 9 30 when a young girl comes into the Jefferson County Jail and tells staff there that she has information about a murder and that a girl named Shanda is dead. The girl also says that she knows that Shanda stayed in Clark County. So Jefferson County Police contact Clark County Police, who search the name Shanda, and find the new missing persons report. And after a little bit further digging, they identify Shanda and inform her family that she's been murdered. The family pretty much falls apart then and there. I mean, they're inconsolable, and you can tell in Jackie's eyes in this documentary that she's still a different person, obviously. The girl who had come forward to the police was 15-year-old Tony Lawrence from Madison, Indiana, and upon further questioning, she cracks open and has the full story about what happened. She says that her 15-year-old friend, Hope Rippy, their mutual friend, 17-year-old Lori Tackett, and... Lori's friend Melinda were planning on going to a punk rock concert together or at least that's what Tony was told. Tony said that when she got in the car with Hope and Lori, Lori turned to Hope and asked if she had told Tony yet. So that kind of tells me that Hope knew, everybody knew, but Tony which is like very convenient but whatever. Apparently Tony did not know what was happening. She then said, Lori then turned around and said quote we're gonna kill a little girl tonight and Tony starts freaking out at this point. But she says that she didn't really believe her at first. She just knew that something bad was going to happen. Something was up. Around midnight, they go to Shanda's and tell her that Amanda Hevron is waiting for her. And that Amanda wants to chat and wants to get back together. And just really wants to talk because they haven't talked in so long. And at the time, this makes Shanda really happy. Because kids, you know, now she likes Amanda again and wants to date her again. It's not that important. The important thing is that she tells them to come back later when her parents are asleep. So they do. And Shanda gets in the car with them. When there's no Amanda in the car, Shanda starts to ask questions. And then Melinda, loveless, pops up from behind her and puts a knife to her throat. Apparently, Lori and Melinda were friends. And Melinda had hatched this crazy plan to get revenge, quote unquote, for Shanda, quote unquote, again, stealing Her girlfriend, which was definitely not the case, Amanda away. And Amanda had actually no idea that this was happening and definitely still did not want to be with Melinda. And may have not even wanted to be with Shanda at this point. Like that's, the whole thing was fake. It was just a trap. This girl Lori was apparently obsessed with like weird demon shit and occult human sacrifices and all that weird 90s stuff that kids were into, you know? There was this like stone structure in the woods near them, like an abandoned house that Lori said that nine witches were killed in, which makes zero sense because they live in Indiana. Anyway, Lori believed that she was like communicating with the witch spirits or whatever and needed to kill a person for them or something. I don't fully understand. She's obviously crazy. Melinda, though, sees this as an opportunity to have an accomplice help her kill Shanda so that she can get to Amanda. Which did not need to happen. So really both of these girls are insane. So they take Shanda to that crazy stone house in the middle of the woods. And Melinda and Lori tie her hands and feet together. And then they try to slice her throat there. But it doesn't work because the knife is too dull. So they resort to repeatedly stabbing Shanda in the chest. Shanda is still not dead at this point. So they strangle her with a rope. And throw her in the trunk of the car and start cruising around in the country. They repeatedly pull over and open the trunk to continue beating Shanda. Who at this point is still 12 years old. Just a child. Lori claims to have opened the trunk at one point And only heard Shanda making gurgling noises. And saw her eyes roll in the back of her head. So that made Lori want to repeatedly hit shanda over the head with a tire iron until she felt shanda's skull cave in the girls did more horrible graphic terrible things to shanda that i won't even share i've already been more than graciously detailed with it and you'll see why later but i terrible things happened to shanda that night when they were done torturing her they pulled over to the side of an empty road empty field and took shanda out of the car wrapped her in a blanket, and threw her on the ground. Hope poured gasoline all over her and reportedly sprayed her in the face with Windex, saying, quote, Not so pretty now, are you? Lori lit a match and set Shanda on fire while she was still alive. The girls then drove to McDonald's for breakfast and joked that after burning Shanda, her body would look like the sausages that they were eating. I can't stress enough that Shanda was only 12 years old when she was murdered. After hearing this insane story that checks out based on the evidence that they have found at Shanda's murder crime scene, they decide they need to make arrests. So they go and they bring in all four girls involved. The four girls being fifteen year old Tony Lawrence, fifteen year old Hope Rippy, seventeen year old Lori Tackett, and sixteen year old Melinda Loveless. Apparently Melinda and Lori had met in December of nineteen ninety two, And Lori had expressed to Melinda that she was very into occultism and general murder, I guess? According to authorities, Lori said that she wanted to stab someone through the stomach or through the heart just to know what it felt like. She also said that she wanted to burn a body just to know what it would be like. Obviously this is insane behavior for 15, 16, 17 year old girls to be having. And apparently they'd been through some serious trauma in their lives too, respectively, but I don't care because a lot of people who've been traumatized haven't resorted to murder. So, no. Don't care. The judge in the case decided that all four would be tried as adults, and considering the evidence of torture and the assaults and everything before she was killed, the same judge decided that Melinda and Lori should be eligible for the death penalty. All four girls were terrified of the consequences, and their lawyers decided that everybody's best interest was plea deals. On January 4th, 1993, Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett were sentenced to 60 years in prison. Later, Hope was sentenced to 60 years as well for her role she played in the murder, and Tony was sentenced to 20 years for not doing anything to stop this gruesome torture and murder that was happening. I honestly believe that Tony didn't help with the murder and the beating and everything, but I also believe that she should have gotten that jail time, that everything, you know, was fair there. Unfortunately, according to Jackie, Shanda's mom, after Shanda was murdered, her father fell deep, deep, deep into alcoholism and, quote, drank himself to death. Now, as to why I was so detailed with the murder, none of the women who killed Shanda are in prison anymore. None of them. They're all out of prison. The people who did that to a human being. Tony served nine years in prison before she was released in 2000. Hope served 15 and was released in 2006. Lori served 26 and was released in 2018 on the anniversary of Shanda's murder, if you could get any more disrespectful. And Melinda was released in 2019 after serving almost 27 years behind bars. Those human beings should never be let around other human beings, let alone let out of jail. I don't understand why they would be eligible for parole. Like, how can you say, oh, well, they were just kids. They burned a person alive after torturing the person for hours. I don't understand why they're not in jail. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Shanda's mom says that she forgives them. Because it's been too long of her harboring hate or some other Christian ideal, I don't know. Do whatever you have to do to cope. I'm not the one to say how you handle that grief, I cannot even imagine. But yeah, even though they were all charged and sentenced, none of them are actually still in jail. None of them. I don't- I don't get it. (laughs) The justice system is fucked. Badly fucked. I know, that story is frustrating, and I wish there was a better ending to it, but there just isn't, and that's the case in a lot of stories of murder murder's a drag it generally is i'm excited to get into all of the you know activities that come with gay wrath month i hope you're all also excited and i hope you're doing your due diligence as a ally or a gay or a queer person this month and celebrating and being out loud and you know fighting all that bigotry with your rainbow colorful lightness kind of like Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Gotta bring in that light and get rid of all that gloom, baby. All right. I'm sorry. Again, it's not a video game podcast, I promise. Back here, same time next week, for a true crime podcast with me, Aura Van Dank. This has been Murder's a Drug.